You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, December 1st, and Virginia Tech football finally has a new head man. On episode 213 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we're going to go in-depth on Brent Pry, look at his hiring, the reactions from Will and Chris, and what he can bring to Blacksburg as the new man in charge of Virginia Tech football. We'll also talk some hoops at the very end. All of that and much more coming up on episode 213 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. Welcome into episode 213 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. However, you're taking it in, whether that's archived on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or if you are on our YouTube channel. If you are, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you are in the live stream, drop a comment or question for Will and Chris. We'll get to those with Katie at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline Podcast is brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Once again, Virginia Tech wrestling season is up and running, and they depend on on the Southeast Regional Training Center and your donations to keep bringing Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg. You can visit southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. We got a big podcast today, a new head coach for Virginia Tech football. We've been waiting a few weeks for this, and we finally have a name, and that is Brent Pry. So we've got the usual Wednesday crew on set. Will Stewart across the way, founder and general manager of techsideline.com. To my right, once again, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. In the fourth chair today, Katie Adams did a great job filling in his host last week back in the fourth chair once again and Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes the best podcast producer in the land I'm your host Jake Lyman and we can get right into it guys we finally have an answer two weeks to the day that Justin Fuente was removed from his position as Virginia Tech head coach we finally have somebody in his place and that is former Penn State defensive coordinator Brent Pry. let's just start what was your initial reaction when you see this come down and we finally have an answer what did I think? What was my original reaction? Oh, I got to skip the treadmill and get to the office. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I thought, I think I went, I personally went through what a lot of the fan base went through. It was really interesting to watch the reaction of the fan base throughout the day. The first reaction was, what? Who is that? <laughs> that wasn't my reaction. It was, oh, so it's not Matt Campbell. You know, there, there's kind of a story there. I was... I was shipping Matt Campbell for the job. Uh, but, you know, then throughout the day, as people read more and more and learned more and more about him, it was interesting to watch the, uh, the, the take and the mental uh, situation change. People were like, you know what? That, that's actually looking like a pretty decent hire. You know, yeah, everybody wanted a, a big name, a guy with a successful record as a head coach. Um, and Brent Pry was not one of the names that was foremost in people's minds, you know, and, and 
we ran the poll on Tech Sideline where we had 14 candidates. Eight of them were uh, either sitting head coaches or former head coaches in college, and six of them were assistants. And of course, Pry was among the assistants that we listed. And of the 14 candidates, Pry came in dead last. People who were polled were allowed to pick three. Who are your top three choices? 44 votes out of over 2,300. And he was the only candidate to get fewer than 100 votes. So he, not only was he last, he was last by a mile. Last with so, a bullet. So, so when I saw that that hire was, had just gotten made, I went back and looked at the poll, and I saw those results, and I'm like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, this is not going to be good. I better go check our boards because people are going to be freaking out right now. Yeah. But, but they actually haven't. And uh, I did not think Virginia Tech was going to hire an assistant. I thought they were going to hire someone who had been a head coach. But, right. And I think that's originally what he wanted to do. I, I think he originally wanted to hire Napier, but Florida messed that up, of course. When so, yeah. so many of these big jobs open this year, I, I really think – I think it sent all the sent a lot of price tags way high. When yeah. Mel Tucker got a nine point five million dollar contract for winning seventeen games in his entire career, I mean, so if Mel Tucker with seventeen wins for his career is worth nine and a half million, what is Matt Campbell, the three time Big Twelve Coach of the Year, worth? Yeah. Right. So I, I I really think some of these big donors that are just throwing all this money at coaches these days that they're they're pricing some ADs out of other coaches because just because of how how guys value themselves yes. based on how other coaches are paid um so i think it was a tough year to hire an established head coach yeah. um and i think people are realizing that and so i didn't i had that did not do quite as much research on on the on the assistants as i had as I did the head coaches, because at the time I didn't think it was likely. And also I was just exhausted from extensive research on. And as you uh, pointed out, it's hard to find information it's on hard, assistance. Correct. It's Anybody harder. can go read a Wikipedia. Entry, right, right. You know? exactly. Um, so it's harder to find information about those guys. But uh, like, I, 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 like I went to bed Monday night. I wasn't too keen on the hire, but as I read a little more and time went by on Tuesday, I started feeling better and better about it. And, uh, like I got on the radio on, uh, yesterday, and I think Paul Van Wagener asked me to grade the hire, and I was like, I, I can't really do that right now because we have not seen the assistant coaches that, that he's going to hire, and, and that's that's going to be a big, big part of his success or failure. Haven't even attack. heard the guy talk yet, right? You know, and then what, is, what does he have to say? Right. right. We'll hear from for the first time 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, Thursday morning, for those of you who are listening archives. So that'll be important as well. And you mentioned the staff; that's important. But looking back at the reaction of the fan base, I think a lot of it, like you said, has to do with name recognition. Mm -hmm. You just see Brent Pry, who's that? I'm not voting for him. And and so let's be clear, uh, my reaction wasn't a negative one. Um, Now that it's all said and done, I can say that two guys I didn't want, I did not want Napier, and I did not want Bill Um, (laughs) O'Brien. I didn't want Napier because, uh, now I haven't had a chance to watch an interview with Napier, but I think he has a reputation as being kind of dry, and I'd seen a couple of their games. I really didn't like that offensive product he was putting on the field. And so. by the way, he is there. He does call plays, and we'll see if he does that for Florida. Yeah. Like I'm, I kind of have a feeling that like SEC defensive coordinators are going to eat his offense alive. That's so, that's my take from watching his offenses at Louisiana. And and for the Bill O'Brien thing, um, clearly the guy knows a lot of football. But you know, we read an article in the Athletic I thought was very telling that he's in a very, he's a very emotional guy. And it's great when you're winning 
but his last season he was with the Texans. Is that right? He was with the Texans a lot. He won the division four out of the six years he was there. Yeah. The issue was he kept trading away their best players uh, for almost nothing. And, and by the end, apparently, the, when the winning went away, the players just tuned him out. Yes. And there's all this talk about EQ, and 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 it's it's even more important at the college level, you know. Although maybe not because in the pros, players can flat quit and they're going to get paid and you know whatever. I'm kind of babbling at this point, but I was worried about the EQ portion of Bill O'Brien as head coach. So those are two guys I didn't want. I'm I'm not indicating I didn't want Brent Pry. I just didn't know much about it. I uh I when I I was worried at first, but I wasn't really worried about Pry per se. I was worried about the reaction of the fan base, and I'm yeah. like, oh man, gosh. He only got 44 votes. Our fans are going to be angry, and this is going to be one long offseason. But it turns out they're not angry. So, Well, there okay. were a few <laughs> choice posts on the message board early in the morning, and a number of people came by later, late in the afternoon, and said, wow, I really didn't like this at first, but after uh, learning and reading yeah, more, yeah. I take back what I said. And I think something that was very telling uh, yesterday morning and Monday night Chris po- posted this in his article yesterday was the Penn State fans on their message board saying, man, this is a huge loss for us. We loved Coach Pry. He deserves a lot of credit for how great our defenses have been. Then you look at Monday night when there was the rumors that Bill O'Brien was coming to Blacksburg and all of the Alabama fans were saying, I'll help him pack. Take him, please. Like, please take him. <laughs> uh, I'll be over at his morning with a moving truck to drive him to Blacksburg. Like, So I think that's a little telling. You see a guy at Penn State who was – clearly loved and is going to be missed up there compared to Bill O'Brien. You know, ever since they lost McSorley at quarterback, their defense has carried their program at Penn State. Um, This would be like, I mean, their offense has been very, very pedestrian the last few years. So this this would be like Bud Foster leaving sometime in the middle of the 10-win streak, and you're like, okay, we have to – something's got to be done here because – our defense isn't going to be as good now, probably, and our offense isn't very good at all. So they just signed Franklin to a 10-year contract, right? They and, extended his four-year contract by an additional six. Okay, so he's got a 10-year contract. And Tech just hired his Bud Foster away from him. I mean, I'd be very, very worried if I was a Penn State right now, fan right now. And I'm not – we have no idea whether Pry is going to work out at Virginia Tech, but we know he was an elite defensive coordinator. Yeah. So uh, Franklin's got a big, big hire ahead of him because their program's been sliding off because he apparently can't hire offensive coaches or recruit quarterbacks. So uh, to be clear, uh, if you go and you look at total defense rankings, Brent Pry is not putting up Bud Foster in his prime numbers. Um, his defense has a reputation as Ben, but don't break. So they're, they've, to- been, they've been anywhere between 6th and 25th in the F-plus ratings. Right, total defense anywhere between 17 and like 37, but in efficiency, in terms of efficiency, scoring defense has been top 10, right. that sort of thing. And, you know, and they're playing Michigan and Ohio State. I mean, they're playing a Big Ten playing schedule. They're, they're not team. playing Duke, you know. Well, so. and there, there was a time period there – in the mid two thousands, when Virginia Tech was winning the ACC, and ACC offenses were, were terrible, horrible, yeah. and and that's not the case in the Big right, Ten. Right, right. That's certainly not the case in the Big Ten. Um, yeah. Very good defensive coach, um, a very experienced recruiter in the Mid Atlantic, all the way from New Jersey down to Virginia. I don't um, think your average person knew that, right. and that's yeah. a, another part that came out during the day when you when you pulled up his list of all time commits on twenty four seven. There's like. You don't have to scroll very far, and there's eight Virginia kids on yeah. that list. Yeah. One of the top recruits he ever got to Penn State was a five-star uh, linebacker out of 
Brandon uh, Smith. L- Louisa, yeah. Louisa. Louisa and yeah, Louisa right out kind of right, you know, east or west of Charlottesville. I don't remember which direction. But he's got plenty of experience recruiting Virginia and Maryland and DC. So what, what I like about him is he like grew up in a coaching household. He was actually uh, played high school ball in Lexington right. because his dad was coaching at BMI. So his earliest memories of life were of his dad coaching. So he grew up in a football household. He's 51 years old, which I think is prime age for a coach. Uh, I think Beamer was 52 when Tech played for the national championship or, or, so, or something like that. Um, so I, I think we're, Tech will be getting him at his peak age. Um, he, he's He's been you know in Power 5 programs now for – you know, over 10 years or, or thereabouts. And at his age, I mean, he's seen every scenario that you could possibly see at this point. Now, he has never been a head coach before, so right. that's the big unknown. How good of a CEO is he going to be? Um, but I feel better about it um, because of his background, uh, coming, growing up in a coaching family and everything like that. And he might be a guy who could have gotten a head coaching job earlier, but as we know, for the better part of a decade – athletic directors and fans they trended towards oh we need the flashy offensive x's and o's guy whose offense put up great numbers you know the chad morrises and things like that and now that a whole bunch of those dudes have washed out right so a guy like pry was not likely to get a head coaching job when everybody else when everybody was looking at offense and that worked against bud foster the prime of his career you know being a great defensive coordinator but that's not what people were looking for at that point in time and we're going to keep going on Brent Pry for most of this episode, but some breaking news coming in. David Cunningham just texted me. Maybe not surprising. Trey mm-hmm. Turner has just officially announced he will not play in the bowl game, and he is entering his name into the draft. So right. I think it was expected that he probably wouldn't play in the bowl game, but Trey Turner officially moving on to the NFL at the end of this season. So if Tech needs to recover an onside kick, Trey will not well, be there. Trey will not be there, there in the bowl game. Yeah. Uh, so – Looking at the candidates that we kind of went through two weeks ago, we had everybody listed their top candidate and their dark horse. And I said at the very end, cross those six names off your list. It won't be them. And it was correct. Uh, what do you think made Brent Pry stand out from those other candidates to Whit Babcock? Um, as far as like the other coordinators, and it's impossible for us to know who all Babcock sat down and talked with face-to-face, Man. but um, – they all, all of them have good enough resumes, you know, like, uh, you know, Charles Huff had a good enough resume. Uh, Marcus Freeman has a good enough resume. They, they're they're all, but they're all, they all aren't the exact same resume, but, but they all have a lot of strengths and some weaknesses. So it's all about the interview at that point. It's all about how he sells his vision and he convinces Whit Babcock that he's the, that he's ready to be a CEO. And, uh, you know, we'll, we will hear from Witt tomorrow morning at the press conference, and I'm sure he'll enumerate on some of those things that they talked about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so many of these guys have similar resumes, and this is for any coaching hire. Um, so, like, what was the difference really between Justin Fuente and Tom Herman in 2015, right? Not a whole lot. Um Herman had coached at Ohio State, and Fuente had only coached at TCU. Right. But that, that was pretty much it. Um, so a lot of it, it just comes down to the interview and how the candidate sells himself as, as the best guy for the job. So the, the neat thing about the press conference tomorrow is it was uh, – you don't know how this stuff happens. And Fuente's first press conference, I think, is when Witt told the story about Getting on the plane and and Bud oh, oh and, taking Bud Foster in the middle of the night to Memphis, yeah. Tennessee. 
I'm not telling him, not telling him where they were going until <laughs> they were in the air. I don't know that we'll have a cloak and dagger story like that. <laughs> Maybe not we'll quite get, that big. We'll get the story, you know, and um, so so a lot of that will be asked tomorrow. But uh, um, I think the fact that I know it was 25 years ago, but he was at Virginia Tech at one point in time, and there are people around here who knew him at that point in time. John Boleyn, Frank Beamer, Bud Foster, these were all people you could ask. Sure, he was just a kid. And by kid, I mean, yeah, J.C. Price, 24, 25 years old, you know, Uh, and people change a lot. But he did have some sort of history around here. And 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 I I I still think that the mid-Atlantic recruiting aspect of it, not necessarily mid-Atlantic, but Virginia, D.C., Maryland, on up in the New Jersey played a played a big part of that. I mean, Witt mentioned Virginia Tech's geographic footprint when he did his press conference on things he's looking for. Um so it seemed to me that was not necessarily necessarily a requirement, but something that played heavily into his line of thinking. As it should. And, right, and I, and I think he wanted an established head coach, but he also wanted men Atlantic ties. And I don't know that there was an established head coach in Virginia Tech's price range with a lot of ties in this region. Well, like you look at Tom Herman, you know, what's Tom Herman going to bring to the table? And, and it's... I was thinking about this when you compare this hire to the 2015 hire of Fuente. We're talking about things now that we weren't talking about back then. Yeah. Back then, Wit was all like, how do I manage this transition? Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, he artfully managed it. Should they have kept Bud? You know, that's one that can, that can be argued for posterity. But he was really, again, rightfully so, completely preoccupied with managing the transition and now we're talking about totally different like how much of a conversation do you think he had with fuente about you're you're from tex from tcu you're from memphis how are you going to recruit this area i'm sure he had those conversations in passing but i mean to me it it really and this is and i'm sure it's it's more complicated than than this what is smarter than what you're going to giving him credit for but i think more emphasis this time was it was placed on checking those other boxes. Like there were two big boxes last time: offensive-minded coach who would retain Bud Foster, and every other box was a smaller, less important yeah. box. Now I do remember Witt saying at the time, uh, I don't know if it's on the record or off the record, but I remember him saying words to the effect of, "Yeah, I I pay attention to recruiting. Recruiting is important to me." Mm-hmm. But there really wasn't a whole lot of discussion about recruiting back then. Whereas now we're focusing in on. Brent Pry and going, oh, he's got all this recruiting experience here. So if I'm wit, one of the questions I ask Brent Pry is, um, I see you from Virginia on up. Mm-hmm. I see you got a couple guys out of Georgia here and there. What about North Carolina? I'm not seeing any North Carolina kids. We, we got to not only do we have to take back our own state and push Mac Brown back over the border, but how are you going to get down into Western North Carolina and have success down there? That that conversation was probably had. Yeah, and you want to know some names for assistance, yeah. right? Um, I was just reading in Turn, Turn Up a Wick yesterday, Frank's book, and he's detailing about how he got the Virginia Tech job originally, and he was actually going up against his best friend, Bobby Ross, right. for, for the job. And at one point, Ross did not know Frank was in the running for the job, so he calls up Frank and said, I want you to be my associate head coach and defensive coordinator. At Virginia Tech. At Virginia Tech. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, he's like, I've told uh, the Virginia Tech athletic director that you would be my top hire as an assistant, or, or I'd oh, really yeah. try to make it happen, right? So so athletic directors ask coaches during the process, what are you going to do about your staff? Like, So that's absolutely one of, one of the names 
or one of the things that you would ask him is like, all right, you've been at Penn State, so we know that you know all about New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Maryland and Virginia and D.C. Um, who, do, who do you know that could help you out in the Carolinas and Georgia? Are you going to have a specific Florida recruiter on your staff? How many in-state recruiters do you need? Right? You need somebody for Nova. You need somebody for Richmond. You need for somebody for the 757. Do you need another in-state specialist? For any other parts of the state, I don't know that you do or yeah. not. I mean, th- those are the conversations that you all have. Like, uh, do you need two North Carolina specialists? Like one for Charlotte, and one for Raleigh. It's, it's a lot of different questions there that you have to go through, and those are the dis- discussions that are always had. Um, it's not like, oh, here's his Wikipedia page. He's coached at these places. Here's his record. <laughs> oh, you're hired. Yeah, and so the other big question, of course, is offensive coordinator. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's probably on Jake's it is. discussion point. It's points. on there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so uh, it, that answer is going to be really interesting because looking at his Wikipedia entry, you're, you're wondering where that's going to come from. He's been with uh, Franklin since Franklin took the job at Vanderbilt in 2011. Right. I have not had the time to research who all of Franklin's various offensive coordinators were. I know one of them was uh, Ricky, I believe the last name is pronounced Rain. Well, he's the head coach at ODU now. Yeah, they'll be going head-to-head in, in the season opener yeah. next year. So um, I, I legitimately wonder where's the offensive part of that tree going to mm-hmm. come from. And so that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, uh, yeah, um, but, you know, a guy who's coached for so long, he's coached against a lot of people. And, you know, every year – well, before COVID, every year they do that coaching convention in Nashville in like February or March, and all the coaches get to go out there and connect and meet each other and everything like that. Like, so many of those guys know each other. Yeah. And if they don't know each other personally, he's going to call somebody and say, do you know anybody who think is, is a fit? You know, um, so it'll be interesting. I, I do, I'll be interested to see how they dedicate resources from offensive side of the ball to defensive side of the ball. Um how much they're going to spend on an offensive coordinator. Because I, I think uh, given Virgi- the, the obsession with Virginia Tech fans over the offensive coordinator for the last 20 years. Pick a good one. Uh, I mean, I mean <laughs> or, or you need you need to show them that you're willing to dedicate resources to it. You know, when I, when I, this past weekend when I was researching Matt Campbell, when I foolishly spent 24 hours thinking he was going to be our next coach, I found out that they pay their offensive coordinator at Iowa State more than Virginia Tech paid Brad Cornelson. So you get what you pay for. Iowa State gets a strong, tough, physically developed football program because they dedicate just more resources than any other school at their level for a strength and conditioning coach. Um, Now, did you mean to say offensive coordinator or strength and conditioning coach? I'm sorry. What did I say? You said that Iowa State pays their offensive coordinator. No, no, no. Oh, well, they pay their offensive coordinator almost a million, too. Right. But they also pay their strength strength and conditioning coach more than Virginia Tech paid its offensive coordinator. I'm sorry. Yeah. so Virginia Tech fans, that they need to see Pry throw a lot of money in that direction. To to as as you can't just go out there and say, oh, here's five hundred fifty thousand for an offensive coordinator. I, I think then that would make Virginia Tech fans spend this off season seriously questioning things. Yeah. So again, trying to figure out where he's going to get his offense coordinator from. It's unlikely that he's going to pick an offensive coordinator up out of the Big Ten that he's coached against as a DC because they're all making great money. Um, so maybe in one of the lesser teams they played on their schedule, he's played a team where Penn state had him outclassed in talent, but he's, he's had to coach against an offense that was tough to prepare for 
and made good in-game adjustments, even though Penn State beat them by 40. They just didn't have the talent. So any coach worth his salt is going to keep that brain and keep that name in his head. Oh, that guy, that guy really knew how to put an offense on the field. They, they just weren't good enough for us. And so there's that. And then, but the yeah, other but one thing of those, is, one of those guys is going to be cheap though. But maybe, and, maybe and Tech in, fans wants to want to see Virginia Tech spend at least eight or nine hundred thousand on an offensive coordinator. They don't, they don't want to go hire some small school offensive coordinator who was making one hundred fifty thousand before, and we pay him eight hundred grand just for the sake of paying him eight hundred grand. Solid point. They're, they they want they're going to want to see somebody with a little bit of a reputation. Okay, so let's do the out of out of left field stuff. Uh, Mark Whipple's the offensive coordinator at Pitt. Would you have ever guessed that Pat Narduzzi would have Mark Whipple as his offensive coordinator? Probably not. Yeah. No. So who and, knows? And but I think uh, I think they need to change offensive core. I think Whipple's good, but I think they need a new philosophy after this year. Pitt has gotten softer the last two years, just like UVA. When you go out there and throw the ball fifty times a game, you get softer on the offensive line. You get softer on defense. You get soft like the Big Twelve for the most part. Like the only balanced team in the Big Twelve is like. Matt Campbell's team, right? And they're the toughest team in, in, in the yeah, Big 12. Um, I, I think that's important for Virginia Tech, that Virginia Tech be balanced. So you can build a tough defense. And uh, like I, I, that's what another thing I like about this hire is it, he's going to break a Big Ten mentality. And the Coastal Division is soft. It's filled with soft football teams. Right, Duke has no talent, and they're soft. Miami. Um, uh, Miami. Some some days they can be tough. Some days they can be soft. You never know. But they're softer than their their talent level should be. Virginia, Virginia at this v- point in time is talented v- and soft. I wouldn't even Pitt, their I, offense. Uh, right. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is just awful. Just entered in anything. The portal too. Right. Um, Pitt. I, I wouldn't like say they're soft, but they've gotten softer the last couple of years with the right strength and conditioning coach hire, and with a defensive minded Big Ten style guy like Pry, then I think Virginia Tech has a great opportunity to become the most physical and the toughest team in the Coastal Division, which I think gives them a competitive advantage. Yeah. To play more of an old Big East style football. Which worked really well the first few years in the ACC. It really did. And, and, yeah. uh, so what you're telling me is corn is going to be on the menu at the Student Athlete Performance Center. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Big Ten joke. We always love your, your puns in there. <laughs> my, my, Brennan's my strong arm. Dad humor. <laughs> <laughs> so you feel pretty good about Brent Pry, again, coming from the Big Ten, defensive-minded guy, that he's going to put together a good defensive staff. But again, the offensive side is where the question is. Justin Fuente really didn't have to worry about that. Bud Foster was on the defensive side. He had his own offensive staff. Yeah. Is this uh, kind of a make-or-break early-on decision for Brent Pry, how he builds that offensive side no, of staff? No question. Um, tech fans are going to be looking at that more than anything else in my they're going to be looking at who's coaching on offense and what are the recruiting areas of the, of the entire staff as a whole and now we've heard multiple people now have told us that virginia tech is probably the money's there to have the second highest paid coaching staff in the acc behind only clemson as far as the assistant and support staff salary pool and virginia tech fans and and quite frankly me too are i don't want to see hiring coaches from a bunch of small schools and then you just pay them a bunch of money just because you can, just because you now have the money to do it. You know, I want to go out and get some established guys that, that we have to hire away from other schools and we have to outbid other schools to get them. Like, like I, I want to go get NC State's best recruiter because we can outbid them now, right? 
I don't want to hire East Carolina's. Maybe I mean maybe East Carolina has a great outside linebackers coach. I don't know, and I'm not saying every single coach on the staff has to come from a Power Five school and everything because that's yeah. not going to happen. Um, but you you want to see a few of those guys on the staff. Otherwise, what's the point in raising all that money? Solid point. Yeah, if you have the second largest pool why would you use it to hire guys who maybe not may not be worth that level of salary right. uh, that they're getting so do you think there's maybe an opportunity let's say Brent Pry played Ohio State and thought their quarterbacks coach was talented and maybe they hire him as the offensive coordinator sure would that be a big that, time that, that, that would that, be something like that you know uh or it was an assistant in one of the let's say a big power five program who was the running game coordinator? Yeah, right. He was Something really like impressed with the running or the passing game coordinator, and that was a somebody real who's not calling plays and would look for that that promotion to be able to call yeah. plays for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's that was I believe Gaddis was at Penn State before he went to, or no he he was at Penn State Alabama and then Michigan, but he was not like a full offensive coordinator until he got to Michigan. He was like a passing game coordinator. Okay. So that, that that's an example of something yeah. like that. And we already know one member of the staff, J.C. Price, will stick around. I believe associate head coach and defensive line coach is what they announced him as. So mm-hmm. J.C. Price sticking around. The rest will, will probably slowly trickle in over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you mentioned recruiting being one of the main reasons that uh, Brent Pry was hired. I want to just go through some of the names. When you look down, Brent Pry's all-time commits, I mean, Micah Parsons is obviously number one. He will be the defensive rookie of the year in the NFL this year. Brandon Smith will be an NFL player next year, most mm-hmm. likely. Yator Gross Matos, another Virginia guy. He was a second-round pick a Freshman. couple years ago. Uh, Zach Cunningham from Alabama went to Vanderbilt, was recruited there, and he was a second-round pick as well. So, And all of these are to his position group. Yeah. So it feels like maybe Tech could transition from DBU to LBU as uh, Pry has in his Twitter handle. He's uh yeah he's shown to change that he's shown, <laughs> he's shown the ability to recruit go head to head with major programs and and win battles with, with five star and four star recruits. He's also shown the ability to recruit three star Oren Brooks out of the state of Virginia, which not very many people wanted. Turn him into an NFL player at yeah. Vanderbilt, and he's now with the Oren, Oren Brooks plays for the Packers. Now. What was he? A, what position was he? Linebacker, linebacker. linebacker as well. And Shaka Tony, again another three star recruit mm-hmm. that he's turned into an NFL, NFL player at Penn State. So uh, not only recruitment, but also a little bit of the player development that we've yes. talked about. Yeah, absolutely. It's very important. All right. Well. We're going to dive more into Brent Pry a little bit more in the second half of the show. Let's jump over to Katie in the fourth chair. What do you got today? Yep, got to give my shout out to Scott Glessner before anything else. He had a really interesting football stat today. He said, in the last nine wins over UVA and football, Virginia Tech men's basketball is 9-0 in the games following those wins. Oh, well, well. Feel bad for the Terps tonight. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you would think, yeah, I really hope this streak continues. But unfortunately, we don't have a great showing in this Big Ten Challenge, which no. was my next point that I was going to bring up. Hokies take on Maryland tonight at 7.30 p.m. in College Park. The ACC has not won the ACC Big Ten Challenge since 2017, and it's not looking good this year. I believe they'd have to sweep it to uh, win it tonight. Uh, yeah. as, as you've steadily seen the television revenue grow in the Big Ten and the SEC, You've seen the decline of ACC basketball. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about that this morning. The the whole ACC is the best basketball conference. It's not no, a thing it's anymore. Not. It's got the most. It's got the best tradition, but it's yes. not the best conference anymore. Yeah. Um, no, no doubt about that. I mean, uh, Alabama. My gosh, they can't spend anything else on football. 
I mean, what else can you possibly spend on football if you're Alabama? So you got all this money and you don't know what to do with it. Just give it to basketball. Well, well, let's go ahead and have a top 10 basketball program. <laughs> I you know. Wish I could snap my fingers and make that happen. Yeah, yeah the ACC Big Ten Challenge last night, not pretty for the ACC. Duke, number one, Duke lost after having a 14-point lead at halftime. Uh, Syracuse was one of the two wins, but they went to double overtime with Indiana and, after having a 21-point lead. And that's surprising with how Syracuse has played recently. Yes. They have not played well. Yeah, recently. they came into that 3-3. and three. Yeah, yeah um, and Indiana, an All-American player, uh, Trace Jackson Davis, he had 30-16 and 16 last night against him in, in a loss, so... Uh, definitely not a good night for the ACC. They would have to sweep it tonight to win it. So, Yeah, another unfortunate stat. Virginia Tech has the second-to-worst winning percentage out of the whole ACC and the whole Big Ten for this challenge at .357, but there's one team that has an even worse win percentage, and it's the Maryland Terrapins. They're .143. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> 1-4-3. They're 1-6 in this I was going to say, that's they, one out of every seven. Wow. So but, they probably generally they they pair Maryland up with somebody like North Carolina or Duke because of Maryland's basketball tradition, and then you know they end up. It used losing. to be based on standings, but I you know who knows. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's how can you standings, but how can you really project the next year? Yeah, you know. Yeah. And this is the first time in what four years that the Hokies have played somebody other than Penn State in the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge. Yeah, because. Yeah. 2018, they played Penn State. 2019, Tech took the year off. They were the one team not playing. <laughs> and then last year was Penn State as well. So. Yeah. Another thing I didn't really realize was the home court advantage that Maryland has. Since 2017, they're 61-13 and 13 at home. Hmm. That's pretty impressive. It is. And tonight's Len Bias night, which it should be a packed house in College Park. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They were so, 61-7 and seven until last year. They lost six games at home, which was very uncanny, wow. but had to huh. do with COVID, I'm sure. No fans. Right. Um, and that game's at uh, 7.30 on ESPN2, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, yes. the women also play in the Big Ten Challenge tonight, and their game's at 7.15, so they oh, really yes. overlap. They're in Madison tonight. That's right. Yeah. So. yeah, two different trajectories for the men and the women. My last point was that the women's team has played very well in this Big Ten Challenge. They're undefeated under Kenny Brooks, so... Right. We'll see if they continue wow, that tonight. Wow, I did not realize that. I did not know that either. Do you know right off the top of your head how many games that is? Five. Five. Because I think the women started doing the challenge. Either that or Virginia Tech was so bad they, they didn't get to play in the challenge. I don't <laughs> think it started up at the same time. I don't think it did either. Well, the men's challenges are going on for over 20 years, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. think 23, I want to say, and the ACC dominated for 15 years before it kind of evened out. For first 12 years, maybe. 12 years. Yeah. And uh, for the woman, I, we were talking about it on Monday's show. Kenny Brooks just doesn't lose to non-conference teams all that often. Yeah, that's I wanna, true. I want to say he's lost less than 15 non-conference games in five years. Yeah. Probably less than that, too. So yeah. That's it for me. That's all you got? All right. Well, thank you, Katie. We have plenty more to talk about with Brent Pry becoming the Hokies' next head coach. We'll also talk a little bit about basketball game tonight and also the ACC opener against Wake Forest on Saturday. Be sure if you are in the YouTube live chat, make sure you drop some questions and comments for Will and Chris. We'll get to those at the end of the show. We're going to take a break here on episode 213 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back here on episode 213 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. A big one today. Brent Pry named Virginia Tech's next head coach yesterday. We are going in-depth on Pry and some of the decisions he's going to have to make with his staff, recruiting, 
player attention, all of that coming up here in the second half of episode 213. We'll also talk some hoops, our usual crew on set, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Katie Adams, I'm Jake Lyman, and Malcolm Stewart doing his thing behind the scenes as the best podcast producer in the land. As always, Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center, and be sure to leave your questions and comments in the YouTube chat for the end of the show. So we've talked a little bit about the staff for Brent Pry, especially the offensive side. We've already heard that J.C. Price is staying on the defensive side, and I was told Pearson Prelude will also be staying on the staff in some sort of support role. Anybody else that could be retained? I know Ryan Smith was mentioned. He was a GA under him at Penn State. Yeah, so they knew each other at Penn State. So I think maybe he would be the most logical next guy to stay on, especially with the way he's been recruiting over the last couple of years. Yeah, and I would think so. I mean, he's done a really good job in Richmond, and they already have a connection. Um, Looks like Virginia Tech is going to hire Sean Quinn. Yes. And he's been the head coach at Savannah State. And he has previously worked at Georgia Southern and Louisiana Lafayette with Pry. Now, we don't know what role that's going to be in. And it hasn't been officially announced by Virginia Tech, but Quinn resigned from Savannah State this morning. And it sounded like that move's going to be made. I don't know if he would be the defensive coordinator or, or just the linebackers coach. I have no idea. Um, but you, they're hiring all these defensive coaches now with J.C. Price and now Quinn. So that's two defensive coaches hired, which tells me that that Pry's got a pretty good idea who his defensive coordinator is going to be right now. Because you don't just hire all your defensive coaches and then hire your defensive coordinator at the end and say, oh, by the way, here's all your coaches. Right. Um, you know, you've got to give him some some say there as well. So uh, some maybe, like, maybe they're pretty sure but still not quite sure who the defensive coordinator is going to be. And if it's not the guy – if it doesn't turn out to be the guy they think it's going to be, then – that's going to be awkward. That would be awkward <laughs> to just give him, oh, here's Ryan Smith, here's all these coaches, and you don't really have a chance to hire any of your own guys. So I would say, you know, be patient there because I, I doubt anything's been fully decided. And, and, and I wonder if part of that is spot recruiting Georgia. Um, again, if you go to prize lists of all-time commits, there's, there's I, a couple I don't, I don't, of th- I don't think this guy has anything to do with recruiting. I think this has to do with Brent Pry being obsessed with having the best linebackers possible, and he thinks this guy's a great linebackers coach. That that could be very true. Uh, I mean, because that, that guy that guy was the the coach at linebacker. You he's put so many linebackers in the right. NFL, and you know it's very important to him. So he's just not going to hand the linebackers to some recruiter who doesn't know what he's doing. And again, he's got it in his Twitter handle it is coach pry lbu yep, i guess that'll be changing to hang on I'm, I'm gonna check that because you're right last time i looked it still had maybe he had LBU. maybe he hasn't ch- he's changed it already i saw he did change the uh the header on his twitter page to a Hokies thing and he yeah. changed his bio but right. still has not changed that handle yet <laughs> yeah it hasn't changed the handle or maybe he wants to make it i want to just be defense you and be good at everything <laughs> yeah it still says it. underscore lbu <laughs> yeah There you go. Uh, And Sean Quinn, there was an article put out today. I'm not exactly sure what the outlet was, but it said he would come on as a with a key role on Virginia Tech defensive. Right, right. And we don't know what that key role is going to be at this point. So we'll see. We would assume, though, at most defensive coordinator, at least probably the linebackers. Right, right, right. And and when I said earlier, you know, I want to hire a bunch of name coaches. Of course, I recognize that that's not going to be possible at every position. You want to get the best coaches you can. If if Pry really feels comfortable with this guy coaching his linebackers, then I'm all for it because Pry knows a lot about linebacker coaching. He knows, I, a I'm, I'm, he knows a lot about defense in general, obviously. So I totally trust him on that side of the ball. Um, I'm more, a lot more interested to see what he does on the other side of the ball 
And I'm just as interested to see what he does at uh, with the strength and conditioning position because yeah. I think that's going to be very important. Um, wanted to look at one more assistant for Virginia Tech. I think I know the answer to this one, but I'm assuming we'll get some questions about it. Any chance Justin Hamilton stays on the staff? I mean, if they, if they, I have if, no if, idea on that. One. If they've already retained Price and they've already hired this guy who I just talked about, and I've already forgotten his name, Sean Quinn. Sean, Sean Quinn. Quinn. If they've already Sean Quinn, hired Sean Quinn, the is, mighty Quinn is, is another <laughs> spot. And I don't know. I mean, you're going to tell your defensive coordinator all these dudes are your coaches. Right, I don't know if I'd feel 100% comfortable with that. I mean, maybe he, maybe he, maybe Hamilton will be retained. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but generally speaking, like you don't see coaches come in and retain more than one or two guys. Yeah. I'm not saying I want all those guys to to be released or anything like that. I'm just saying, realistically speaking, if you want to build your own coaching staff. And I just, I just, I just, and I think Virginia Tech has had player development issues. And I think, with the exception of the offensive line, I think it's more a program issue than than a coaching issue per se. But I, I just, I don't think the safeties have developed under Hamilton. Um, I, I think that's fair. Shamari Connor got worse. So and I think there were underlying issues in the program that caused that. More maybe more so than X's and O's and the actual coaching from Hamilton. I just think the program itself wasn't set up to be conducive to player development. But at the same time, if I'm a new head coach, I'm not taking any chances on that. Yeah. I want a guy with a proven reputation uh, of player development. And especially as a defensive-minded head coach, former defensive coordinator, you would think it would be rare to retain the former defensive coordinator yeah. as well. You yeah. probably want to start from scratch in that position. We talked about the offensive staff a little bit. I, I don't want to catch you guys off guard here. Is there anybody that you think would be a home run hire as an offensive coordinator? Any any kind of area you look for for that kind of guy? I, I want a balanced offense. I, I don't want somebody who – I know you have to go by the strength of your personnel to a certain extent, but I don't want to be some 40 or 50 passes per game team. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I, so, I, so back to the UVA example, um, so I don't know how Wahoos and people who follow UVA feel, but I always kind of liked Wayne Talapapa as a running back, and yet they marginalized him and went with the passing game. I, and they have players on their defense that I thought were better two years ago than they are right now. When they were a more physical running yes. team. Yes, so, when they ran the ball more and they didn't pass it 40 or 50 So, I, So I agree, balance is important. Now, you know, yes, you're right, you have to adapt. You look at the Don Shula example of – they were a power running team, and then when Dan Marino came along, they became a passing team. Right. But yes, there's got to be some balance there. Yeah. So I don't have any names in mind, to be honest with you. But I mean, I didn't yeah. have Brent Pry's name in mind. It's true. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's probably yeah. going to be somebody that you've never heard their name before. <laughs> but again, you got to do the research on. Then it. you look at them, and you'll be like, "Oh, looks like a pretty good hire." So we've talked coaches a lot. Let's talk about players. We've already seen a few players enter the transfer portal from Virginia Tech. Daryl Bailey and Knox Catum this morning entering right. the transfer portal. Do you, Trey is effectively entering the transfer portal by not playing in the ball game And going yeah. into the draft. Do you think this could be a max exodus, or do you think it looks like we're going to see a few more stick around? I, I've heard that there could be a lot of players who hit the portal, and they've been debating it. And we'll see what happens when the when the staff gets here and they meet all the players and and everything like that. Now I I don't think I don't think you'll see guys like I've I've even heard like Tavion Robinson might hit the portal. Yeah. And and James Mitchell might play at Tennessee next year. Yeah. 
Yeah, we've heard. Now, this stuff reached its crescendo after the loss to Miami. That was the week before Virginia, Yeah, Yeah, right? that, that, that's yeah. correct. Um, and you always hear stuff like that. But 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 I, I don't think I don't I'm inclined to say they would finish out and play the bowl game. But who knows? And guess what? That's why bowl games are irrelevant these days. So you should never get angry at your football team for losing one of these minor bowl games when the players don't even care and, about. And it. if you're a media writer, you should never rank a team in the preseason next year, quote, because they won their bowl game, yeah, unquote, exactly. in Parter yeah. and Hall. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, current players obviously will be a huge part of uh, retaining for Brent Pry, but recruits are also a big part of this as well. Some higher level recruits in this class, you talk Gunnar Givens, Ramon Brown, Alex Orgy. How important is it going to be for him to get on the phone? I know Will said a few weeks ago, next head coach, the first call he should make when he gets the job is calling Alex, Alex Orgy. Orgy. Yeah. Um, I looked through uh, all of Virginia Tech's commits and – PSU only offered about six or seven of them, uh, most of the guys at the top, and then somebody down near the bottom. Cam so, Johnson. Cam, Cam Johnson, I think, was kind of up near the top. Um, so they they know PSU as a program knows some of those guys. I don't I don't think Brent Pryor was involved in any of them directly. He would have been involved in any defensive. Yeah. Because on two four seven, so so let's say there were six Virginia Tech commits that had been recruited, offered by Penn yeah. State. Four of them it listed their recruiting coach outright. None of those were Coach Pry, and then two others it said unknown. They didn't have anybody listed for Penn State. You know, if if it was any defensive player, he might not have been the lead recruiter. Like two four seven is never going to get it completely right. Right. But yeah. So and because, yeah. because staffs recruit with multiple coaches on a board. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so. Penn State offered Rashad Purnell, and you know these days they three hundred guys get offered. offered these days. So, but he at least knows who Rashad Purnell is, yeah. and they I'm sure they've spoken before. And Purnell's he, already said Purnell already yeah, said yeah, he's, he's locked he, in. He's locked in, and and he's arguably the best pure football player. I mean, there 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 are players ranked ahead of him who I don't think are as good a football player. Yeah, and, he's from and, Highland Springs. Highland right? Springs, absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. that should be at least worth at least five spots in the rankings, in my opinion. Just for just the, being from Highland Springs. No, well, you, you, they're going to be uh, better prepared mentally, and and you're you're not you're not going to get any like uh, guys who are you're going to get the right work ethic. You're going to get the right mentality, and you're going to get a well-coached player, and everything. And that's why it's very, very important to be good at Highland Springs. Tech fans keep saying, keep wanting like Lauren Johnson to get hired by Virginia Tech. I don't. I want him to stay at Highland Springs, his keep coaching these high school players, so we can recruit them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, that's a guy who's number one had the same high school coach right. all four years, and number two. It's a high school coach who wants to be there because he likes coaching and he's good at it, not because he has ulterior motives. Right, right, you know? exactly. And I believe Purnell as well, was it Harrison St. Germain from Westfield also yes, said uh, he's in? Bryce Eddie. Duke is clearly, it seems. And, uh, uh, so Bryce Ma Duke is in? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Malachi yeah. Madison? Malachi Madison, uh, so, another Richmond guy. So four in-state guys. And I heard uh, J.C. Price went in home with Gunnar Givens last night with the Commonwealth Cup or something like that. Uh, and I think he's going to be doing that with all he the cleaned that Bud guys. Light out of it, right? Yeah. Got into it. J.C. Price actually brought the Commonwealth Cup to uh, Tech Talk Live on Monday, too. Yeah, uh, I saw that, right? He left it for Mike Young on the desk with popcorn in popcorn it. Popcorn in it, yeah. <laughs> he, he was good on, on Tech Talk Live as well. Uh, <laughs> and probably his last appearance on there, but, uh, but fun to have him on there, especially after such a big win. Uh, one more thing for players, 
maybe some transfers coming from Penn State. Do you think there's a chance we get some guys on that defensive side of the ball mm. from the Nittany Lions? I, I don't. I don't think you would generally see a guy transfer, but because of a coach. No, I, I did. I, I've written most of an article, which will get posted later today, looking at the 2022 class. I looked at guys in Penn State's class that Pry has heavily been involved with in, in recruiting, and, and they're all from Pennsylvania. And three of them are four stars. So can you flip a four-star player from Pennsylvania to Virginia Tech because of the defensive coordinator left? Right. I Probably have no not, idea. Not but, but you know, Virginia Tech is going to lose a few guys from this 2022 class, but they're also going to gain a few guys that, that you've never even heard of at this point. So were you specifically asking about recruits? Recruits or, or maybe young players who had, who were recruited by Pry and would want to well, follow yeah, So it's interesting, and I say this knowing nothing about Penn State's football team other than they wear blue and white. Um, let's say he's got a particular linebacker position that's stacked. He's got a very talented guy who's currently a second stringer. Um, and let's say he looks at Virginia Tech's linebackers and – thinks his number two guy at Penn State could be better. This is me shrugging for those just listening. And and that's kind of what I'm thinking. Maybe you have a a redshirt freshman at Penn State who is kind of buried on the depth chart that he thinks has potential. Or maybe he wants to be closer to home. What are the transfer rules now, by the way? They seem to be applied differently to different people. I I I think you can transfer eight times within one year and be immediately eligible at all eight places. Yes, I think that's the new rule. And you get $1,000 every time you transfer. (laughs) That's what NIL is, right? I don't think it matters anymore. I don't. I don't think it does either. I mean, it might technically from a rule standpoint. I can't but, keep up. But it, I, Well, I know that Knox Kadem went into the transfer portal and it said immediately eligible four years. Darrell Bailey, immediately eligible. Okay. That's what um, it says in the 247 database. Interesting. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so, God, how can you – you're not even going to be able to keep up with it if you're the NCAA this year. Right, there's going to be so many guys in the portal because everybody's facing a numbers crunch because they got to get back down to 85. Uh, yeah. They were all over the limit this year. So you're going to have your normal attrition, but then you're also going to have other attrition where it's like, yeah, you're cut because we don't. We got to get down to 85. That's just the way it is. That That's the situation the NCAA created for themselves yeah. when they passed all those rules last year. Uh, they wanted to be fair to all the players, of course, which I understand, give them the extra year, but... Now a bunch of other dudes are going to get cut because of it. Well, they offloaded all the the bad adverse effects onto the players and coaches. Right. They washed their hands of it and said, "Do whatever." Yeah. And you would think the immediate eligibility may stick around, especially with what we're seeing with the coaches. This co- coaching carousel. Brian Kelly just left Notre Dame, who was maybe a week away from being in the, the college there, football there playoff. Is, uh, the number seven player in the state of Virginia is a six six, two hundred thirty pound edge defensive end type who was committed to Notre Dame. Right. Do you know his name off the top of your head? No. I, I saw him, and I can't remember his name. Um, i tell you what, when Lincoln Riley went to USC, four or five big-time recruits bailed from Oklahoma. Yes. They got a the number three overall player quarterback uh, from just, California. From California just committed to USC a day after. I, I mean, I, I didn't know Lincoln Riley had that much recruiting juice. Well, and it also makes it harder to believe that he got a call on Sunday morning uh, about <laughs> yeah. it if he's pulling recruits yeah. 24 hours later. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was on social media, and they couldn't keep up with how fast Oklahoma recruits were decommitting. Yes, yes. And now Notre Dame last night, I don't know if you guys watched the college football playoff uh-huh. uh, show, basically the committee said that Brian Kelly leaving made them push Notre Dame to six instead of keeping him at five, which that doesn't seem they fair to the that? players. Yes. They admitted it. Yes. So Now, I will say this. 
when the two or three weeks Virginia Tech spent without a football coach, not one single recruit publicly decommitted. Yes. Not one. So somebody gets credit for that. Remember at Witt's press conference, he said he talked about the things they were to talk about uh, Fuente and VT parting ways. When, when Witt had that press conference, he said he was talking about the things they're going to do. And he basically said, tomorrow we're going to get on the phone with all the recruits. Right, right. Now, it could be a good year from that standpoint because I don't know how many spots other teams have because everybody's got to get down to 85 next year. Yeah. So, you, you know, I, I know Monsoor Delane's been offered by Michigan State and, you know, he might take a visit there or whatever. UNC went in home with Gunnar Givens, of course. But, like, I don't know what your average recruit these days. If his coach gets fired and he decommitted right now, how much interest he would get. And I don't mean just for Virginia Tech recruits. I mean your average three-star recruit that everybody yeah. signs. Like how many spots does anybody have? Solid right? point. Especially this late in the process, early signing day, two weeks from today. So definitely some work to do now, for – No, I think what Tech will do is, you know, the rule is if you've already taken a, an official visit but then your coach leaves or gets fired or whatever, you're allowed to take a second official visit to that school. So like Gunnar Givens, who took his unofficial or excuse me, his official visit to Blacksburg over the summer, would be allowed to take a second official visit to Tech because there's been a coaching change. So so, uh, so Vir- what I assume Virginia Tech is going to try to do is between now and the first signing day is get all their commits to take their official visits on one weekend. And this weekend is too soon because there's only a couple of coaches here. But if you hire a few more coaches between now and next weekend, which I believe is the 10th, that makes that weekend, that weekend before signing day, the the best weekend to get all those guys in Blacksburg together uh, for their second official visit and to meet the staff and everything. Probably the, the guy to pay attention to is Ramon Brown. Mm-hmm. Where Where is he? Uh, he hasn't said anything he publicly. He hasn't said anything. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I'm writing an article today, and I, I've divided it up between like guys who have publicly – affirm their commitment guys who were silent um i think we'll probably lose deandre martin although he said he still wants to visit and meet this staff so we'll see most of them are silent right now but even most commitments even when there is a coaching change almost most of them stay with their original school like when frank beamer retired and tech transition to justin fuente most of that class stuck with their virginia tech commitment you did not but but most do, and most in this class will. Too. And the only one I remember reading about is Josh Jackson, that, that Fuente made sure to keep Josh Jackson, uh, went and visited him, I think. I think it was yeah. his first uh, first visit, I believe, because yeah. the quarterback. So we'll see if Alex Orgy maybe be Brent Pry's first visit. And as you, and as you can days. imagine, Penn State did not offer him, didn't recruit him. He's all the way down in Texas, and Penn State right. doesn't need to go that far yes. to look for right. players. Right, and if I'm, if I'm Alex Orgy, I'm like, okay – I just need to know who my offensive coordinator and quarterback coach is going to be by December 15th. Mm, yeah. yeah, i got to talk to that guy. Yeah, Definitely going to be an interesting few weeks as the staff gets put together. We see how many players hit the portal, who stays with their, recruit, with their commitment to Virginia Tech. So all of that to look for. Let's close out on the coaching talk here with just a general question. Whit Babcock went through his checklist of what he wanted in a coach uh, at the press conference after Justin Fuente parted ways with Virginia Tech. Do you think Brent Pry checks all the boxes that Whit Babcock went through? Uh, now, to be clear, he didn't say current head coach, right? He did not. He said he'd prefer it. He'd prefer it, but he he never backed himself completely into that court. He said he wanted a CEO yeah. type. Yeah. I, I can go through them yeah, quickly. Like, yeah. uh, proven track record of success, 
Define it, sure. That's open to debate. He's yes, plenty of uh, proven, uh, plenty of success as a defensive as coordinator. a defensive yes. coordinator fits the values of Virginia Tech. He's been Seems here. Yeah. You, right. you would assume so. Uh, engage with the community locally and beyond. I don't think that's going to be an issue. In fact, we've already heard that he's got a Zoom call with former players tomorrow. So, yes, yeah, so he's uh, got a 9 a.m. press conference and then a, an afternoon Zoom call that. I think pretty much everybody who played for Virginia Tech is invited. To yeah, and I think and I think Virginia Tech as an athletic department and Whit Babcock now understands that they have to reach out to Virginia Tech fans and connect with them. I thought Justin Fuente over the last six six or seven months of his job did a great job it with that. To, you know, once he was pointed into that direction, but yeah. it, it was too late. He said, uh, also a leader CEO that has character and confidence. It feels like he kind of fits that mold. But we yeah, we we'll see know. if he's a good CEO. Uh, a teacher and an educator committed to the complete student-athlete experience. Again, that's more sure. down-the-road I mean, kind I of thing. I guess he is. It feels very specific <laughs> sure, there. we all are. <laughs> uh, a coach with a vision and the ability to recruit this footprint successfully. Uh, def- definitely definitely. The, uh, the recruiting part and the footprint. As far as the vision of it, you know, that's Well, he it. doesn't wear glasses, so he's got vision. He's got vision. And it feels like this one may be the most important one. A coach who can do player evaluation, player development, and hires a complimentary staff around him. I guess that's that, again, remains to yeah. be seen yeah that's the conversation that, that, that's, that, those are all the conversations that get had during the interview process and we're not and, privy to any of those and he will get asked about that tomorrow it yes. won't just be you know did you get on a plane and fly in, in the in, off in midnight to do the interview it'll be you know <laughs> how are you going to build your staff and all that so we'll hear from coach pry 9 a.m thursday morning it'll be interesting to see what he has to say you assume a lot of it's going to be the same thing you hear from new coaches every single time but yeah, and it's live streamed on, I believe, HokieSports.com. I believe so. I don't think it's going to be on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. It may be on YouTube as well, but we'll, yeah. I'm not sure. Go, I would say go to Hokie Sports uh, social media accounts to figure that one out. Uh, so good talk on Coach Pry there. I think we'll talk about him a lot more as the month and months go on until spring football starts next year. Uh, but let's j- dive into some hoops before we get out of here. Hey, can I interrupt and say something about spring football? Of course. Dear Coach Pry, <laughs> have at least one open scrimmage, and when they come to you and ask if it's okay if their spring game is live-streamed or shown on the ACC network, say yes. <laughs> okay, I'm done. We appreciate the, uh, the little soapbox <laughs> moment there from Will. Hopefully he's listening. Please do good stuff for my business by actually keeping fans engaged during spring football. We'll see. I mean, open scrimmages are rare. Don't ask for too much. Just one. Just one. Uh, And you would think maybe as a new coach, you're trying to engage the fan base. Maybe that would be the first step in doing so. Justin Fuente clutched all this stuff close to himself. And and how'd that work out for you? I I know why they don't open practices and stuff like that. I mean, I remember going to Fuente's first practice and Adonis Alexander got up in the cornerback coach's face and started yelling at him. That's not stuff people needed to see. Solid point. So... Uh, Pros and cons, uh, well, especially <laughs> especially these days with social media. Like, remember when we went to the scrimmage that time, and the two players just got in the fisticuff, hand to hand combat, fighting each other. There Do was, you remember their names? No, oh, gosh, not, uh, not off the top. Of my I know head. one of them was number eighty seven. You, you know, these days with social media, stuff like that that goes on in practice and scrimmages all the time. Like, people would make it 
a big it's more deal. a big deal more of a big deal than it is just behave yourself for one scrimmage and then you can go back to being a football team <laughs> well and, and it's like in the nfl they have the open training camp practices and if there's a brawl of some sort like it's always on tv the next oh, day yeah, no so doubt. i guess that would be the thing you're so and so has lost control of his football team <laughs> right 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 <laughs> All right, well, let's dive into men's basketball. Again, we mentioned tough week in Brooklyn last week, but they have a chance to bounce back tonight against Maryland. Five and two losses to Louisville and George Mason. So they had a tough loss to the Patriots, also an ACC team. But this is a team with a lot of talent uh, on their roster. It'll be a tough one on the road, especially, again, Len Bias night, probably going to be a pretty good atmosphere. David Cunningham knows a lot more about them than I do, so you should consult the preview that David is in the next room. Uh, he's yes. in the next room. Uh, what is their guard's name? Fats. Fats Ru- Russell. Fats Russell. That's one so, of the so better. So David is people. listening to the podcast live stream. So if you hear footsteps, <laughs> he he's running. He over may be. To- he may be walking in right now. <laughs> Uh, yes, Fats Russell transfer from Rhode Island. He's averaging 13. Uh, their leading scorer, Eric Ayala, is averaging 15. They've got a seven-footer. Again, we our pronunciation travels here. Kudis Wahab would be my best guess at it. Yeah, I remember when he was being recruited. He originally went to Georgetown out of high yes. school. I think Tech was involved in his recruitment a little bit. Did you catch my tweet last night that Isaiah Wilkins is at Longwood at now? Longwood. Yeah, you didn't know that? I did not. Well, you know, I did not know that if, if I knew it, I forgot it. And, and the reason Georgetown triggers that is Longwood and Georgetown were playing last night. Uh, and I skimmed through that channel and like they were literally mouthing the words uh, Virginia Tech transfer. And I thought, what? Who? <laughs> and it was Isaiah Wilkins. Well, speaking of Isaiah Wilkins, he was a transfer to Wake. Oh, and David Cunningham has just walked in. David, do you want to take my chair and talk about? <laughs> There's a delay. Come on, come you on like in to talk about down. basketball. Okay, come in all right. We're gonna make and... we're gonna make a switch here and bring on managing editor David Cunningham. He knows. Uh, he he wrote his preview on Maryland and Wake Forest, I believe. I'm checking out. So that's show. on TechSideline.com right now. Make sure to go check that out after the show. Uh, so we're talking Maryland right now, David. I do want to mention just on the Isaiah Wilkins thing. He was at Wake Forest. Who... The team sees at Wake. Yes, that was what I was getting to. Yes, so there is another Virginia Tech transfer. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah Kadeem's, and he's that. playing like a good like ten to twelve minutes yeah, he's, coming he's off the a bench. Solid player. Yeah, yeah so Kadeem okay. C is the new v- former Virginia Tech player yeah. at, in Winston Salem, uh, and we'll get to the Demon Deacons a little bit later. But David, just looking at Maryland tonight, this is a big game for Virginia Tech. You don't want to lose three straight. Uh, especially heading into the ACC opener on Saturday. How do they kind of attack this team that's talented but has also had a few letdown games well, so far? I think one of the most interesting things is Mike Young on Tech Talk Live on Monday, which I transcribed because Jack Brizendine was at an NFL. Oh, by the way, congratulations. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that bad. I kind of went, I listened through first time and kind of like jotted down notes of like, like I tried to transcribe as much as I could and then like, I obviously didn't trans. I mean, you've been there, Jake. I you bet. don't transcribe you can't the do it entire all thing. Just be glad they're not two hours. Yeah, anymore. but it was Mike Young and J.C. Price, and they were both entertaining to listen to. So, um, but but one of the things Mike Young said was something along the lines of, you know, well, we've got a lot of work to do, and you know, we're not as good. Post game, he said, we're not as good as I thought we were. And one of the things that I think he understands now is that that Storm Murphy has a lot of pressure on him. And he, and he was asked about that by, I think, Mike Burnup. And, and Burnup kind of just, you know, asked him, what do you do when, when you got a point guard that has this much pressure on him? And he kind of just said, I, got, I just tell him, you know, to not. I mean, just to, like, forget about everything and just play his own game. That he doesn't, you know, that right now he feels like he has to score, like, he has, a, he has a proof that he can play in the ACC, and he doesn't need to do that because I trust him and I believe in him. And I think 
Tech has to get Kevin Luma going. It's something that that Mike Young said that you know Tech stru- struggled to throw the ball in the post with a really lengthy Memphis team and a really good Xavier team that had like you know multiple guys that were like six nine or taller. So this is going to be another team. If you look I, in my preview, I put Maryland starting lineup and they've got two guys that are six eight and one guy that's six eleven in their starting lineup, but. I honestly think you got to get Kay Valum involved. Uh, you've got to get Justin Mutz involved because, a- as you notice, what happens is if they get the ball inside more, it it opens up everything on the outside because they move the ball. They could, you know, um, some of as I'm sure you remember, Chris, from watching the games in Castle so far earlier this season. Some of the best, most entertaining plays have, have come from ball going inside, kick out, and yeah, Mutz is pa- a really good passer. Yeah, and pa- yeah, pass yeah. around the arc to get find somebody who who gets a wide open three against Memphis. They couldn't even get the ball inside right. to start. And so, it, when they did, they missed a layup. Most yeah, of the time. and and it's converting easy layups. And um, but but I think if you can get Keve Luma involved, get Justin Mutz involved where they're passing the ball, obviously making open shots helps. You need to you need to hit open shots, especially when you're on the road. Um, but I but I think. Mike Young mentioned on Tech Talk Live that you know, um, and I'm gonna butch. I'm not. I'm not gonna try to say the Maryland forward name because I'm gonna butcher it. It's Wahab is his last name. I'm going Kudis. Yeah, he That's was. Yeah, I, I believe if I remember correctly, Tech offered him. We did once upon a time. Yeah. It might have been under Buzz. Yes, but but he went to Georgetown and he transferred to Maryland. He's not bad, but he's um, he's not very agile. He's not very quick. Yeah. He's he's got a good frame and he's. Solid, but he's easily, you know, Kevin Luma, especially Justin Mutz with an explosion, turn on a dime to the rack. He's not one of those Memphis dudes is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's, think like John Mm Ogiaco, like where John has a good rim protector presence, but isn't like necessarily extremely quick on his feet. But but I think if Tech can get some favorable matchups down low, um you know, I, I think that's that's really important. But in general, I mean, you've seen both of those these last two games. Like, <laughs> Tech's had an opportunity, and they've been there at the very, very end. Just, you know, I think the first half has really hurt. Getting off to a fast start, which seems like a theme with Virginia Tech athletics teams and <laughs> getting off to fast starts this year. Well, if they win these two, you're 7-2, and two, and that makes everybody feel a lot better. Yeah. yeah. And this is a big week because these two games feel very winnable, but you're still in that stretch from – Thanksgiving, when you have Memphis and Xavier, now you've got Maryland and your ACC opener against Wake. Cornell, I would feel like a little bit of a break. Yeah, in there. That, yeah. But then after that, you've still got you've got Saint Bonaventure and Dayton. And you go up. to Dayton. You go yeah. to Dayton. Right. Neutral site against St. Bonaventure at UNC at Duke. Yeah, yeah. Duke, at, Duke, at, Duke first. at UNC. Yeah, dude, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like Dayton beat number four Kansas, then number four Kansas. <laughs> right. St. Bonaventure. Has looked they had a rough week this past yeah, week. Yeah, but they start but, five seniors. But, they're but, a good team, but they they're going to be good. Yeah. Duke beat Gonzaga. I mean, they lost to Ohio State last night, but and then North Carolina is obviously going to be good. So, so you've got a, a really tough stretch, and I think this is these are games where Virginia Tech they they should win, but it's games that you should be able to you should get your legs under yourself. You you realize. You know, one of the things Mike mentioned on Tech Talk Live was they went into Penn State last year and got absolutely walloped. They lost by twenty in that was, Castle, that was here. and oh, it was yeah, it was yeah. brutal. Yeah. And but that's because they hadn't played anybody that had remotely close to the athleticism, the physicality, the length, 
any of that that a Big Ten team provides. As far as that goes, it's all downhill after Memphis. Oh, yeah. Those that, dudes were athletic and that, huge. And, yes. and Xavier was pretty big, too. I mean, you, you just played two tough top 25 teams. Yeah. And, and now you've got a... Maryland, it was a preseason top 25 team. Yeah, a Maryland team that struggled. They lost... A, their two losses are to Louisville and to George Mason. And George Mason played them really well. And then Louisville, as we know, is a really good team. So yeah. they... they they are just kind of in a little bit of a rut recently. Um, but Maryland's a pretty good team. They've got a lot of experienced guys. Wake Forest, a lot of experienced guys. Wake Forest, if you guys remember, Tech beat them by like 36, 38 at home last yes. year. And this is Steve Floor's second year. But they're 7-1. and one. Mm-hmm. Tech should win. And they brought in the, the Oklahoma transfer, Alondis Williams. He's averaging almost 20 points a yeah. game. Yeah, they're a lot better this year. He scored, I want to say, 21 against Northwestern last night. Wake was one of the two ACC teams to actually get a win. Yeah, and, and Jake LaRavia is good. They've got a, a core of guys um, combined with Isaiah Musius. They've Davian got some, Williamson's back, too. Yeah. I mean, the, th- well, the good thing about Wake being better than expected is that gives you an opportunity for and I doubt they'll end up in the top 30, but it gives you an opportunity for an extra quadrant to win yeah. that, that you were not necessarily expecting. Yes. Now you just have to go win the game and make sure it doesn't turn into like a – end up <laughs> like if they go downhill or something, make sure it doesn't end up in like a quad three loss. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think these are going to be – these should be two winnable games for Virginia Tech. I think it's going to give Mike – Young some time to, to tweak stuff, to to figure stuff out. Because like he said, John Ogiaco didn't even play against Xavier. You know, yeah. there's been so much I think he's still trying to figure out the depth and figure out who's coming in. I I really like what I saw, saw out of Sean Padula. Darius Maddox looks really good. But can you get David Gasson, can you get John Ogiaco more time to 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 adjust? Are there favorable matchups? Because if you I mean can you imagine if he he throws John Ojiaco in on the seven footer Jack Nunji, you right. know, and that's a, well, a terrible matchup. You have him. to play him at some point. I mean, yeah. Kevin Aluma can't play forty minutes. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're gonna have to play somebody else at that spot for at least five minutes a game, and so I don't. I, it's kind of odd to me that they didn't play Ojiaco any yeah. at all, and, and so that that that's got to change. I thought it was a little odd, but I do think it'll be interesting. I'm intrigued to, to watch, and one of the things I always watch is. Is how is the rotation because you already know the starting five with Virginia Tech. Those are going to be the starting five unless something you know drastically like changes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like earlier in the season, especially in the scrub games, I was watching the bench, watching Sean Padula come in, and I'm interested to watch John Ojiaco and David Gasson tonight and against Maryland to see <laughs> how they perform against a, a really another really good team with size and and where Mike Young throws them in. But um, but again, these are two. Two games that Tech should have a chance to win. They're really, really important games. You know, you don't want to go. I mean, if Tech loses for some reason one or both of these games, you're sitting at five and three, five and four, and the schedule doesn't get any easier. No. The, the good news, as I wrote in my preview, is Tech's not going to get shunned out of the AC, NCAA tournament this year for having a bad oh, non-conference yeah. schedule. So you're playing difficult teams, but you could get. Shunned out because you, you don't, don't win any of games. these yes. games. Yeah. So these ones this week seem most important because, you know, Duke, especially with uh, Paolo Boncaro, doesn't feel like you're going to win that one. Uh, St. Bonaventure is really good. Dayton, they lost three bye games this year, but then beat Kansas. So yeah. there, there's definitely winnable games, but these two both feel like they could be winnable for the Hokies this week. Again, Maryland, I think we said 7.30 in the first half. It's 7.15 Yeah, tonight. the women's game's at 7.30. Okay, so 7.15 from College Park, ESPN 2, and then the women's game in Madison against Wisconsin, 
and our friend Evan Hughes once again up there. Of course. Uh, all over the place the last couple of days. I'm sure he'd rather be in Puerto Rico. Still. I'm sure he, he's yeah, dreaming of being on a, a beach <laughs> once again like he was last week. Uh, well, David, thank you for jumping on here. Uh, our first, like, flash substitution here on the Tech yeah. Sideline podcast. When I was listening. There's a little bit of a delay. So <laughs> I'm, li- I'm working on re- some football recruiting stuff, but there's a little bit of delay, and I was like, let me go poke my head in. So. <laughs> well, perfect. Uh, make sure to check out David's preview of both of these games, Maryland and Wake Forest, on TechSideline.com, and then you'll have a recap tonight, I assume, yeah. uh, of the Maryland I was game. supposed to go. I was wondering uh, why you were still here. Uh, the yeah, 9 a.m. press conference Yeah, 9 a.m. press conference tomorrow just doesn't. It takes a little precedent. Yeah, I was supposed to go and stay with my, my former roommate, um, Orcs, in, in Rockville, and I was going to go up and stay with him. And I've got some cousins that go to Maryland, so I was going to – I was planning on going up yesterday and staying – today and going and seeing some family <laughs> and then uh i had a hunch that i was going to get on the road and something was going to happen and so i was like okay my mommy will leave tuesday night and then uh boom <laughs> tuesday morning everything happened and i was like i'm not i came in here and talked to will and chris yesterday and they were like it's probably easier you just don't go so because i would be dri- probably driving back after the game tonight so um, yeah. but yeah but i will have a, a recap after today's game and then um as i was telling will and chris probably yesterday i assume that uh, that Brent Prize his first like official Hokie Nation will be appearance Saturday. will be Saturday at the Wake Forest game. So and it's a sold out crowd for that Wake game. So should be should be a I fun. I believe one. it's a orange orange. orange they're, they're saying orange effect. Orange game? effect and then uh, frisbee catching dogs at halftime. That is it's always the good halftime. You're selling so. me on that, yeah. I think I saw somebody uh, say I forget who it was was like somebody needs to put money on whether Brent Pry throws a dog a frisbee to a dog. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll see if that happens on Saturday in Castle Coliseum. Should be a good one there. Again, first ACC game at home for Virginia Tech. Won't be at home again uh, against an ACC team until January 1st. So it yeah. uh, should be a good one. Well, David, thank you for hopping on here. While uh, you switch with Will again, let's send it over to Katie and check on the YouTube chat. Short and sweet today, but um, Terrence Forrest Jr. says, in recent years, Virginia Tech has not been able to get some of the top in-state prospects to stay. Do you see that changing in the next two to three years with Prize, the head coach? Uh, yeah, I think they'll do better. I, I think it's it's an emphasis that he obviously knows Virginia recruiting and he's been a part of it. And I think Whit Babcock has obviously emphasized in all his job interviews you know, the need to put together – a staff that can recruit the Virginia and the and the surrounding th- states. That's something that they they did not put a lot of thought into last time. I think um, I think they thought that you know just the Virginia Tech name would, would would bring guys in, but I don't think they realized at the time that Virginia Tech name had dropped off so much. Yeah. Um, once the offense started declining, and then the ten win streak ended, and you know, these guys, they just didn't want to play for Tech anymore. And you, you, you need to go out there and build relationships and, and really hit it hard. And, and Fuente got off to a decent start in state, but, but it couldn't really sustain it. So, yeah, I think they're going to do better. To me, it's not about the numbers. It's, it's about wisely targeting which players and which high schools and things like that. that that's what I want to say. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the things is I don't think Fuente understood how to recruit to Virginia Tech when he got here. Like, it, it took him a little bit to understand that – okay, these are the areas where there are a lot of kids, but but something you and Will and I were talking about in the office yesterday, you have to physically go out and, and show up to, to high school football games and go into high schools and sit down and talk with coaches and have these one-on-one interactions. And from everything I've read, there was a really good Richard Times Dispatch article about it about two weeks ago, just where a lot of the staff didn't put in the effort and they didn't 
you know, give it their all to well, make these connections. It was important. bad strategy too, because at one point, or once, when Galen Scott did what Galen Scott did and and got fired, it, at that point they tried to cover the seven five seven and Richmond was on Burden. That's too big of an area for yeah. one guy. That's that was just kind of bad strategy there too. So yeah. what? Sometimes it it wasn't say for lack of effort. It was just asking one person to do too much. Yeah. So to answer the question, I think I think this is a guy who. Like we've talked, like you guys talked about earlier, he he understands recruiting Virginia because he's done it for so long, and now you're putting him in a favorable position with the the, the assistant pool. You know, hopefully he can hire good assistants that will be able to take advantage and to be able to un you know have those connections. I, like Mike Young, I mean, you remember Mike Young's introductory press conference where he said, "I want to be able to to have a relationship with every single Virgi men's basketball coach in Virginia." Yeah. You know, to be able to do that for football, I think is is huge because there's so many more players and so many more schools. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that this is a a coach that understands how crucial it is to recruit the state of Virginia, especially one of the things. You know, I've been I'm creating a list of high school football coaches, and I'm probably you know going to run a story, um, you know, reach out to a ton of them and run a story on just their thoughts on on Brent Pry and what he means. But but looking through Virginia Tech football roster from 2013, there are probably like 20 25 guys from Virginia. Mm -hmm. This year, they're maybe like eight, nine, ten. You know, they're they're just such a smaller effort i guess to or just not as much success recruiting the commonwealth under the fuente so i think i think it'll pick back up under brent pry yeah and i, I don't want to emphasize that i think it's very important to realize for coaches to realize you, in the state of virginia it's not wise to recruit off star rankings and, and things like that because you keep seeing the top a lot of the top coaches in the state of virginia leave the state because they're getting paid more at other high schools in other state uh rich morgan the old oscar smith coach i think he just won the state championship in Georgia because they're paying him a lot more money to coach in Georgia. And there was another 757 coach that just left and won the state championship at North Carolina this year in Vance. And so I, I, I think other states are starting to offer more competitive to salaries to coaches these days. And you've seen guys from Virginia leave. Like the Blacksburg High School coach, when Blacksburg made their deep playoff run a few years ago, well, that guy left and went to North Carolina, I believe. Was that the state? Do you remember? He did, and now he actually is on sports staff at UVA. Oh, wow. How about that? Yeah. And Blacksburg, how many games did they win this year ever since he left? None. None. Zero. None. So <laughs> Blacksburg went from a – Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, was that they, they, they went from a team that was crushing yeah, – they, they went from a team that was crushing Phoebus yeah. in the playoffs to not winning any games after their coach left. Yeah. And so other states are gobbling up these coaches, which means I don't think the players in the state of Virginia are getting developed as well as they used to. And I don't think the recruiting services have caught up to little facts like that. I mean, yeah, we, we, there's still good athletes here. So they go out and, and perform well at these combines, and they get ranked high. But I don't think they're as good of football players as they, as they used to be. So you have – or not as many. I mean, there's still plenty of good ones, but not as many yeah. as there used to be. So you have to know which high schools – or the best coached high schools, and this is why I'm an advocate of Lauren Johnson, Lauren Johnson staying Highland at Highland Springs, Highland Springs yeah. right, and, and recruiting that high school heavily. So it's a lot more than just looking at the 247 rankings page and deciding whether Virginia Tech recruited well in state in any particular year, because I think the dynamics have changed a lot over the last 20 years. Yeah, I think it's a lot about going in the door and making those connections. That way you can 
call up a coach or a coach can call up you and say, Hey, I've, I've got this kid or you can go to him and say, do you have anybody? Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the most telling things was, um, I heard it over the past couple of days and listening to, um, you know, people talk about how in the Frank Beamer era, there were coaches that, um, that, you know, never high school coaches that never had players from their high school, you know, really go play power five football. But, mm-hmm. The Virginia Tech coaches were still around, and they were still coming over and asking, hey, do you have anybody, and keeping up that relationship. Right. And I think that is what you need when you're recruiting the, high school, the state of Virginia because you can't look at star rankings. You can't text recruits on, on social media. You need to have, you need to ha- be able to build a connection with the people that are constantly with those right. guys on an everyday yeah. basis, you know, for – However, you know, for multiple months, probably six, seven months during the foot during during the fall, and then they're with them for a little bit of time in the spring too. So, and the thought would be, if Brent Pry could get elite Virginia talent to Penn State, he can get them to Virginia yeah. Tech if he's around them a little bit more. Uh, anything else in the YouTube chat, Katie? That'll round it up for today. All right. Well, that was a good one, uh, and we appreciate everybody in the chat today, whether you asked a question or not, and. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the show. I think that's just going to about wrap it up here on episode 213. I have my two guys right here. What's coming up on uh, Tech Sideline over the next couple days? I've got an article about the 2022 recruiting class and how it stands right now. I've got to finish it off, and then I'll post it in probably 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, I've got the press conference tomorrow. I don't know what's going to come out of the press conference. We're going to have articles out of it, exactly. How many and what they're going to be, I don't know. That'll be the managing editor's decision. Yes. Yeah. I'll have my normal Q&A on Friday. I was working on some inside-the-number stuff from this year's football team for this week, but uh, I think that's pushed back to next week at this point. Yeah, I, I will have, obviously, I'll have a main story from that. Um, we will most definitely have a transcript. Um, you know, Other writers will contribute, and we'll have a transcript of it. I'll, I'll type it up. Um, maybe I'll have a second article. It all honestly depends on what content comes out yeah. of it. But, um, but yeah, men's basketball recap tonight. Um, Chris Hirons should have a, a women's basketball recap of the Wisconsin game tonight. Um, and yeah, and just keep in mind that there's wrestling this upcoming weekend too. I completely forgot about wrestling until I checked the calendar and I was like, what's going on this weekend? Oh, wrestling wrestles number number three, three Missouri. Missouri in Columbia. Yeah. So, um, I, Jack Brizend, I don't have something about up up about that. I don't know about a preview necessarily, but definitely a, a recap. So there's there's going to be a lot, <laughs> a lot of this, coming up. This is a great time, as Will would say, to subscribe, subscribe to Tech Sideline. Student subscriptions are free, and if you get a monthly subscription, first your first month, month is, free. is free. I've I've memorized that part at this point. Uh, so yeah, lots going on. Men's and women's basketball tonight. Press conference tomorrow. Wrestling this weekend. Men and women this weekend as well. Women playing Tennessee on Sunday uh, as well. Uh, I believe they're eleven in the country right now. That might have changed yeah, over the last. Tennessee's days. A, a top ten team. I was just going to check and see what time the game's at. I believe uh, it's at two. Yeah, it's at two, two p- o'clock two p.m. On, game on, the, on the ACC network. So that is going to be. Uh, if you want to see Virginia Tech women's basketball, you know, have Against a huge the, test. Like yeah. that is. That'll be the, their biggest non-conference game of the season. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. So if you got nothing to do on Sunday, make sure to go out to Castle Coliseum for that one. Again, sold-out crowd for Wake Forest on Saturday. That will wrap it up on episode 213 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Talked all about the hiring of Brent Pry as the new head coach of Virginia Tech football and also looked at the two big men's basketball games coming up this week. want to thank everybody on set. 
Will Stewart now off camera. He was uh, substituted in for from David Cunningham, but you can find him at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline. To my right, Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Our great fill-in over here uh, in the, we'll, we'll call it the third chair now, Will's chair, uh, David Cunningham, managing editor of TechSideline.com, at the real TheRealDCunna on Twitter. Katie Adams, once again, does a great job in the fourth chair. You can find her at Katie6Adams on Twitter. Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes, our great producer. And I'm your host, Jake Lyman, signing off here on episode 213 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Enjoy the press conference tomorrow. tomorrow. Enjoy the basketball games. We'll see you next week.